everything ends, and it's always sad. But everything begins again, too, and that's always happy. Joy and Rachel join us as our Christmas master plan draws to a close today with the Husbands of River Song and the return of Dr. Mysterio on the December 12th edition of This Week in Time Travel. know if this has been like 12 weeks of christmas or whatever it is but we're finally out of christmas episodes until this christmas Alyssa. we are we are going to have a little brief intermission next week to look back on the 10th planet so we know where the first doctor is as he uh, stumbles into the 12th doctor in the christmas special but yep today is the last day of uh christmas cheer or fear depending on uh, how you feel about the doctor who christmas specials before we head into our new episode And the hype machines are ratcheting up just a little bit with a final trailer, a final new trailer anyway, and set photos for Twice Upon a Time. Yep. And they're looking pretty fantastic. Uh, The new trailer gave us not a lot of new insights into the episode in terms of plot direction and where it's going to go, but we got a view of the villains for the first time. We got a little more first Doctor, 12th Doctor snark at each other. Um, we got another view of Pearl Mackey in this episode. So hype, it is building. Hype intensifies indeed. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm ready for it. After all of this waiting... While there may be those who are still not willing to consider the fact that Peter Capaldi is leaving and uh, we can't have both Peter and Jody together on our screens next year, I am so ready for the regeneration because it's been coming for so long. Yeah. Count me in as one of those people that's a little bit in denial about Peter Capaldi leaving, but... I'm in that place where I'm ready for it now, I think. I want to watch it. I want to see it. I want to see this last tour de force from him as he prepares to say goodbye to the show. But I'm going to really miss him. Not a lot of other news happened in this last week, except we're starting to get a few more interviews with Stephen Moffat leading up to this. And he's had some interesting things to say on a lot of subjects. And then... The question of the doctor changing gender came up and eh. yeah, it was a a little bit of a disappointing quote. When this quote initially started going around, there was a lot of people saying, wait for context because it was in a a special Radio Times edition and people were pulling out um, just one sort of key quote from it. But I've read the full quote in context and yeah, it pretty much says exactly what people were initially saying. Stephen Moffat starts by talking about the work that he had done to lay the groundwork for a woman to eventually become the doctor. And then he says, but we have to worry about our Daily Mail reading viewers saying that's not the same person. This isn't a show exclusively for progressive liberals. This is also for people who voted Brexit. That's not me politically at all, but we have to keep everyone on board. And yeah, that is a bit of a disheartening quote to read from him. 
Because frankly, I come from the perspective of, no, we don't need to keep them on board. You know, you can find anecdotal stories that Stephen Moffat's work to really lay the groundwork for a woman to become the doctor within the show convinced a few people that, yeah, actually, they would be supportive of a woman getting the role. You know, there's been a lot of people in the last few years that have sort of turned a corner on that and said, yep, we'd be willing to have a woman play the doctor. And then you look into the comments of any piece on the Daily Mail online about Doctor Who, and there is a dedicated, vitriolic, misogynistic portion of the general public that refuse to agree that a woman should be the doctor, that will make vile insults about Jodie Whittaker, that will say horribly misogynistic things about women. And frankly, we don't need them. We never have. And we shouldn't be making the effort to make this a show that's inclusive for them. And I don't think that's what Stephen Moffat was intending to say or implying to say. But We'll never know if those few years were really the critical thing that we needed to get the general public to accept Doctor Who, because what we do have information from the past few years is that the franchises that went ahead and did it did well. They got praise. They got money. They got pushback, just as Doctor Who is getting pushback now. But, you know, they took the brunt of it first, and Star Wars has done well. Ghostbusters has done well. Wonder Woman did flipping amazing. And I just sort of look at all of this and gone, you know, the past few years, anecdotally, we can pull out a few stories that a few more people turn the corner on this. But I think the general public was there earlier. I think people were ready for a woman to be the doctor earlier. And nobody can conclusively say either way, whether or not it would have worked or not if we had done it earlier. I am so glad we had Peter Capaldi. As I just said, I'm going to be weeping when he leaves, and I'm a little bit in denial about it. But I think this argument that we needed to wait to convince a few more of the Brexit voting, Daily Mail reading general public to support this before they could do it is just frankly wrong. Because the people that would have turned the corner and come with us anyway probably would have already done it. And there's a significant portion that have not turned the corner and will not turn the corner. And we don't need to wait for them. And we don't need to hold ourselves back for them. So yeah, as you can tell by this little monologue here, I have feelings about that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not terribly pleased by it. It's a very cautious way to approach Doctor Who. And I remember how much excitement there was in the lead up to Peter Capaldi's announcement. There was a lot of excitement for the possibility that the next doctor could be a woman. And it felt somewhat like a bit of a tease whenever uh, I believe it was Zoe Ball who was hosting that special who made this, you know, in the moment, it could be a woman, you know, remark just while Peter is sort of waiting in the wings. I understand the impulse to be cautious and to try to move people along slowly and set up this labyrinthine uh, process of introducing the possibility in the canon, going all the way back, if you're talking about the canon, to the doctor's wife when the doctor refers to the Corsair. 
as a Time Lord that had routinely changed gender. And Moffat, of course, played with that as a joke all the way back in The Curse of Fatal Death. But as you say, Alyssa, these many months and years of laying that groundwork with Missy and the Corsair and such, it's not actually going to change that many people's opinions. And I think that it wouldn't have been any more poorly received than it is being received now if the 12th Doctor had been a Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, and uh, I think Doctor Who could have led the way on this a lot more than it did. It is groundbreaking that it is happening now. Stephen Moffat does deserve credit for the work that he did to lay the groundwork within the show. But also, frankly, I think he needs to stop justifying his choices. He cast Matt Smith. He cast John Hurt. He cast Peter Capaldi. He liked those actors and he wanted them in the role and he got fixated on them and whatever. That's fine. Just stick with that. But if you're going to start justifying it more and saying, well, you know, we couldn't really do it because we hadn't laid the groundwork because there are conservative reactionaries who have reacted poorly to it. You don't need to say that. Just don't because that's not even really the reason why he didn't do it. If you look at his interviews at the time he cast those actors and we don't need to wait for these people. Like I am kind of sick of hearing that argument. You want to talk about Brexit voting public. I think what the past few years have shown us politically, not just in the UK, but in the US and around the world is that in these issues where conservative reactionaries have sort of been on the forefront, we really needed the voices of women and we needed the voices of women to be heard and respected. And at a fundamental level, that comes down to our culture. It comes down to who's on screen on our news broadcasts, uh, who are the voices that are permitted to write and share their stories, who are the heroes that we are told to look up to as children? Are we told that we should look up to women in the same way that we should look up to men? Are we told that we should trust and believe women, that we should believe that they can be authority figures in our lives? We need women at all levels in every single genre and every single bit of our culture and our media. So I'm not waiting for reactionaries. I think Doctor Who could have and should have been out front and just stop trying to come up with justifications. He did what he did. I'm glad that we have Peter Capaldi. Like, I genuinely am. I love him to pieces. I'm so grateful that we had him. But he didn't cast a woman as the doctor. Just leave it and let's move on. Well, the good news is it's no longer theoretical. It may be late, but it's real. Jodie Whittaker is going to be the 13th doctor. If I may be forgiven for invoking the sixth doctor, whether the Daily Mail readers and the Brexiteers like it or not. This week on The Incomparable Network. A team of incomparable members have leveled up and are taking on the DC superhero universe. This week, reviewing the crossover episode, Crisis on Earth X, on the TV podcast. The human adventure is just beginning as Random Trek takes on Star Trek The Motion Picture. 
and the incomparable Radio Theater returns with drama, hilarity, and creepy dolls, courtesy of writer David J. Lore. All this and more at theincomparable.com. And we're back to wrap up our Christmas master plan with the final two Christmas specials, The Husbands of River Song and The Return of Dr. Mysterio. Joining us again today are our friends, Rachel Donner and Joy Piedmont. Hi, guys. Hey, Alyssa. Hey. So let's get started first with The Husbands of River Song. Um, and I'm unabashedly going to bias the conversation by saying um, this is probably my favorite Christmas special ever. I love it dearly. Let's go around the table and talk about our initial reactions to it. This came uh, after an incredibly emotional season finale with season nine. And we were looking ahead to a full year without Doctor Who. Uh, it would not return until the next Christmas special, the return of Doctor Mysterio. Joy, did this uh, give you sustenance for that year-long drought? Hmm. How do I how do I answer this? Um. I mean, my reaction to this particular episode and all of Doctor Who actually is always colored by my personal experiences and. In the fall of 2014, I ha- I went through a very uh, big breakup, and so obviously special that year was last Christmas. Kind of depressing when you're on your own at the holidays. Okay. Uh, you know, following year we get Husbands of River Song. Again, still on my own at Christmas at my parents' house, queuing up the episode after I get home from full day of presents and family and all that. And I wept throughout most of this episode, which is by and large very happy and fun. And it's a really just hilarious screwball comedy. But I had so many feels from all of the river tie-ins back to Silence in the Library. And I am not even a particular fan of River Song, but it just really hit me in a very deep emotional core um, and tapped into a lot of feelings I had been feeling for a couple years. Um, So this really just, I almost can't even speak about it logically because I have so many emotional ties to it. And I agree with you. It's like one of my favorite Christmas episodes, um, might be my favorite. Rachel, how about you? Was it as emotional for you as it was for us? So I don't think it was at the time it aired. And I think this, it was really interesting rewatching this one because I just don't remember really getting those deep emotional feels, even though I know the speeches were there and the moments were there. It just didn't hit me at the time. And honestly, like, I really think it's Nardal. I really do. <laughs> and I, I think that the time of having him around for a whole season and I have developed the ability to self-edit him out of my reactions <laughs> to episodes in a way that it's like I practice this now having, you know, gone through the season. So when it's I like went back, noise reduction. It is. And I went back and I rewatched it and I was like, my God, River and the doctor here are amazing. I, you know, again, like just like Joy, I, I don't, I like River, but I, I'm not 
in love with her as a character, but just these moments were just so incredible. And so much so that I just immediately started watching the library episodes afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't stop. I just needed to see the story play out, you know, and it was just, it was just so beautiful. So beautiful this time. That's a lot of really positive feedback. Chip, are you going to be contrary or are your feels one in the same? They're not quite there at that level. Um, this is a lot of fun. And the banter between the Doctor and River, especially as the episode goes on and as the scales finally fall from River's eyes and she sees the Doctor uh, for who he is, you know, um, it's it's a lot of fun. And there's a screwball comedy aspect to the beginning of the episode that works less well for me. It's so difficult for me to see River as being dense enough not to recognize that this is the Doctor when he just sort of spells it out for her and things like that. That sort of gets in the way for me a little bit. But this above all, I think, Husbands of River Song has going for it, that it is fun. It is a load of laughs with a romantic core, especially at the end, as difficult and uh, grim at times as series nine was this is such a contrast and I can't help but appreciate it for that and I think the interesting thing is this is actually in a way quite a depressing episode that this is really really the final goodbye for River Song you know there's been Mm -hmm. so many points here where we could have where we've been told, yeah, this could be the end for River Song. We may not bring her back for an episode. And no, really, this is her final episode. This is the final time that she sees the doctor when he recognizes her for who she is and how important she is. And yet it still manages to be this incredibly uplifting, hopeful episode that they can have a moment of true reckoning. Because I'm with you a little bit chip on, you know, there are times where the doctor is spelling out to River who he is. And I think she's got to get it now, right? But it also does offer us an unvarnished view of River and how she sees her relationship with the doctor as something, you know, monolithic and not really to be romanticized, that there are cruel aspects to the relationship that, you know, he's the guy that gave her exactly as long of a diary as she would need for her life. And she has to watch it fill up and become full, Um, that she's not quite sure of how much really the doctor truly loves her. So that to me, it it was a really kind of interesting contrast to see what she thinks of their relationship. It's funny, I really read her not recognizing the doctor as her being so wrapped up in her mission, so to speak, because for all intents and purposes, she's the doctor and the doctor is her companion for most of this episode until they become equal partners, which is one of the delights of the episode for me in that um, they really are on equal footing. I mean, she takes his hand at one point and he's like, don't, don't do that. I, I, people don't do that to me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so I kind of saw her as not recognizing him, even though he kept 
you know, like giving her the significant looks and saying, he says, I'm the doctor, maybe like five times within the first 10 minutes. Um, but she's, she's on a mission. She's out to get her money. And she even says later in that speech, and she's talking about how she doesn't expect him to be there. And I thought that that tied in nicely with her not recognizing him. She doesn't expect him to be there. She's not even thinking about it. She's assuming there's only certain number of faces. So, she doesn't even really know to look for him. And, you know, she's not technically a Time Lord in the same way that, you know, Time Lords have that way of recognizing each other. So I, I bought into it completely. Um, and it didn't take me out of it in any way at all. But again, I was I was with that episode from moment one. Yeah, I, I was with joy on that is that I didn't think she would recognize this particular face because she wouldn't have known there were additional regenerations, I thought, at this point. So it wouldn't be something she would think of. And to Joy's point, she was so focused on this mission. Yeah, I think for me, it wasn't a major hang up for the episode. It was just a moment of like, come on. Come on, you can do it. It's him. It's him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than a, I think that's silly. Um, but I did like the way that she uh, sort of put him in his place as her companion of she doesn't see the show being called Doctor Who. It's River mm. Song. And he's the damsel. You know, he needs to get rescued by her. And occasionally she'll commandeer the TARDIS for her own purposes to the point of keeping a secret supply of uh liquor in a hidden cabinet <laughs> so she can just enjoy herself while she's got the TARDIS, which that's the point where I personally lost it, where I was just on the floor laughing. Yeah, I, I mean, love that I mean, so much. Peter Capaldi's just horror at the, and, and just not even horror, offense. He takes such offense at the realization that she's been stealing the TARDIS without him mm. knowing it so many times. And his, his, his he, he does being offended so well. I think for me, this was all entirely worth it to get that moment where River suddenly realizes that it's the doctor next to her. Like when he says, hello, sweetie, is the moment where I cry every time. Yep. Chills. Chills and goosebumps. It's a a tour Mm -hmm. de force for both of them. They are acting up a storm. Oh, and the moment when it's... Peter's turn is the 12th doctor's turn <laughs> to have the bigger on the inside moment. It's hilarious. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's always wanted to see it done properly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a moment there where I have to pause and remind myself Peter Capaldi is an amazing actor, but I bet there's just a bit of that fanboy coming out mm. and saying, no, this is how it should be done. <laughs> Absolutely. And and it's a great uh, it's a great mirror to the uh, the over the top homage that River shows to King Hydroflax at the mm. at the beginning. You know, it's there is absolutely no sincerity here. You know, um, in 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 both cases, they're very much the same kind of character in yeah. many ways in this episode. I did think it also makes a particularly excellent Christmas episode um, in that. Christmas is not a major focus and is mostly a set dressing that they can start off in a town where it is Christmas, but there's just, you know, decorations and things up. And then they end in that uh, gorgeous restaurant scene that is just filled with 
Christmas lights and decorations and really just sort of provide a little bit of a backdrop of bringing a little bit of that Christmas hope into it. Because that Mm -hmm. final line where River tells the doctor, you know, happily ever after doesn't mean forever. It just means a little time is just a, I think, perfect way to bring in a bit of hope and light into what could otherwise be a horribly depressing ending as they have to say goodbye to each other. Right. Right. 24 24 years, which will come back in the next episode as as a key phrase there. I really like that we don't actually see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. aspect of it that you you know it happens and that you can see the emotion that's there at the end of the episode but that actual goodbye is sort of private yeah we don't have to see that final yeah. moment at the end of the 24 years it's it's implied um I, it's interesting. I think of this episode less as a Christmas special, even though it's, you know, you have all the, the dressings and um, the look of Christmas. But this and Mysterio kind of strike me as end of year New Year's kind of episodes, if that could even be a thing, because uh, he's really thinking a lot about endings. And I mean, this is another point in the show where he thought he might be leaving. And so this is kind of him going out on a high note and wrapping up a character who he created and really, um, really loved writing. And it's all about, you know, how do you reflect back on your time with somebody and how do you end that? And, you know, then you see in the next episode, the next Christmas episode, you know, how one Mm. moves forward from that also. Um, But it seems to me like Moffat kind of is like, well, yeah, I know I have to write this for Christmas because it's going to air on Christmas, but I don't actually care so much about that. And I'm more interested in this other thing. So I'm going to make it fit in the best way that I can. Yeah. I think another thing that sort of makes it not as much of a downer of an episode is that it is literally plural, the husbands of River Song. We see that while the Doctor is this monolith, the Doctor is not the entirety of her life. And in fact, River is not the entirety of the Doctor's life. We've we've barely seen her in the last couple of years of the show. Peter Capaldi had two seasons without Alex Kingston appearing. Um, the last season, we had basically a cameo in uh for alex kingston in the name of the doctor if i recall correctly so for people who've not been watching the show like obsessively river and alex kingston haven't been sort of a constant presence on the show she just sort of she she has sort of come back uh but i think emphasizing that they have lives separate from each other uh makes that final parting go down sweeter as opposed to depressing, I think. Though I will say one flag for me is for all of the effort to establish that River Song is bisexual, pretty much any relationship that they show her in on screen is all with men. And for Mm -hmm. all, all of their efforts in this episode to be like, yeah, no, she's bi. She's had a wife. Look, she's flirting here. It's called The Husbands of River Song and the only people we see her with are dudes. So, yep. you know, they they had Bill in 
the next season and she was in on-screen relationships with women. But when this originally came out, I was sitting there stomping my foot going, you got to step up your game because this this does not count as bisexual representation. Mm Mm-hmm. But Beginnings and Endings is a good place to transition to the very next episode, uh, which aired a year later, the next Christmas special, The Return of Dr. Mysterio. Its only tangential relationship to Christmas is that the first scene uh, takes place on Christmas Day, in which the doctor is mistaken for Santa Claus and invited in when he is dangling out of a window. So let's go around the horn again uh, and talk about first impressions. Switch up the order this time. Rachel, what did you think of this episode? So I think I kind of had the same experience as I did with Husbands of River Song is that when it originally aired, I I just didn't like it. And I feel like partially because I was like, oh, no, not Nardole again. And partially because it just had such a different tone, I thought, and the whole comic booky superhero thing. And after being away from Doctor Who for so long, I just it just didn't strike the right chord with me. And the characters didn't really grab me that much. You know, there were some cute moments, but it just didn't grab me. But then when I went back and rewatched it, I was kind of like, well, what was I thinking? This is pretty good. <laughs> and and I, I, I think, again, it's because I haven't been completely deprived of Doctor Who for a year. And I have a little bit more ground to work on and could kind of see where it fit in this in the seasons. And yeah, I just I think I liked it a lot more and I appreciated the humor a lot more. And um, I think maybe I'm also zeroing in on the best Capaldi moments because I'm in denial that he's leaving. And so I'm grasping (laughs) at every moment I can get with him. But yeah, I just I I really enjoyed it a lot more on rewatch. Sushi. Joy, how about you? Oh, well, it's similar ish experience because for me, it was really always going to be hard to top husbands in terms of, you know, Christmas special expectations. Uh, And I, I thought it was fine. It's it's a functional, enjoyable episode. My experience of this one has kind of been finding it to be adequate on the first watch. Um, and then I've watched it a couple times in between because I'm an incessant rewatcher of Doctor Who. Um, and I think I grew to like it more after I had seen it a couple times. And now I've, I'm kind of gone back to the, it's, it's an okay episode. I think it's really functional in the ways that it helps reset the Doctor's story so that by the time we get him at the beginning of um, series 10 with Bill and the pilot, um, there's a nice firm grounding for saying the everything that happened with River is now behind him. Everything that happened with Clara is now behind him. This is a man who has been at a university for you know decades, and it gives him a good starting place for there. And I feel a little bit like the whole episode was just a, a way to get him there and to wrap up any little last bits of of story from from husbands. So in that case, it's, it's fine. And I like the characters. I think, um, Justin Gatlin, um, is really good as the superhero and, um, the actress who plays Lucy Fletcher, her accent, it's okay, but, um, (laughs) she's funny and she plays whip smart really well. 
Chip, you seem enamored with Peter Capaldi's uh, charm and humor during this episode. What did you think? Oh, I mean, that that opening shot with him and the sushi is just mm-hmm. one of the most wonderfully doctorish moments of of them all. He's a lot of fun in this episode. I find it a bit of a mixed bag because this may surprise some of you, but I'm a bit of a comic book nerd. Um, Shocker. <laughs> um, there's a lot about the superhero genre that I love, but one of the things that I need to enjoy superhero stories properly is they need to feel in context. Like the Marvel movies I love because they all seem to sort of fit together. Um, we have never seen a superhero kind of thing aside from that dude in the mind robber um <laughs> we we've not seen any kind of superheroic figures in doctor who ever before and grant as the ghost sort of zipping around fake manhattan not a care of the world that is sort of not the doctor who universe that i recognize so i don't feel when i'm watching the return of Dr. Mysterio, like I'm actually watching a Doctor Who episode. It's that one time in in the last 54 years where Doctor Who sort of stepped out of genre and it's fallen flat for me. Yeah, that's kind of where I was and still am to some degree. But I think I just pulled out the other moments a little bit more and let the superhero comic booky stuff fade into the background. Kind of like with Husbands, the whole setup to get them to get River and the Doctor together doesn't really matter. They got there, and then we got our good moments, right? Mm-hmm. So it was the same thing yeah. with Doctor Mysterio. Is like it doesn't really matter about whatever evil was going on with that company and the brains and whatever. Who cares? You know, it just it just gets us these really good Doctor moments to show this transition that Joy was talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of where I am. That I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit feeling like it's a mixed bag that because there are great moments that I pull out of this and that I absolutely adore. The doctor with Grant when he's a young boy. Hmm. Um, I think that whole opening is just pure delight. Um, every scene where Peter Capaldi is given the baby to hold is a pure delight. <laughs> Please always give Peter Capaldi babies because he does amazing when he is in front of a baby. And I think that the Doctor and Lucy and Grant, and even to a certain extent Nardole in the building just beginning to uncover the conspiracy is done pretty well. I liked some of the comic book tropes that they pulled in, um, especially the very Watchmen-esque plot that Uh, the aliens uh have put in place. And I was less impressed with some of their send-ups of uh, the common superhero tropes, particularly the whole scene with Lucy on the roof interviewing Grant for the first time, to me, really felt like they they missed a note with it, um, that where they, they really dropped the whip-smart journalist trope act and leaned a little too hard into the comedy romance in a way that I think underserved Lucy's character. And I felt like they were also trying to harp on their feminist credentials a little bit in a way that wasn't great with the whole, yes, Grant is a man and he's a nanny bit. 
I just felt like it went on too long to the point that I was rolling my eyes and going, yes, no, we understand. You're taking a stand against sexism. Please move on to the next thing. So it's one of those that I like a lot of it and I find it very serviceable to go and watch through on a rewatch because uh, the bits that I don't like are the bits that I can go up and uh, get myself another drink. Mm. (laughs) Uh, A year later, how do you all feel about Grant as sort of carrying a torch for Lucy for so many years and being the persistent, present, somewhat creepy, I've got to say, guy always in the background. There's a there's that romantic trope of the the person who is just so persistent. It was whether whether it's the the guy pursuing Sally Sparrow's friend in Blink or in in a slightly different way, Grant in this episode. There's just something that feels off about the the nice guy just waiting so long for this one person. Yeah, well that's a Moffat trope. I mean, he he is um always writing that character. Um, you know, in terms of his his men are always just these nice guys and if they're just nice enough and if they're persistent enough, they'll wear the woman down eventually. <laughs> um and he's he likes that character with the woman who is incredibly strong and independent um, because when you have a woman who is in that mold, breaking her down eventually with your sheer niceness and blandness, um, you know, like that's the dream, right? Quote, unquote. Yeah. Um, and I, I find that often Moffat's quote, unquote, feminism can ring false um in many places sometimes it's organically worked in but i mean going back to husbands really briefly she says at one point you know oh are you thinking you're a man that looks weird and it's just kind of a dumb line that's not funny and it just feels like okay you've you've done enough like i i get it you you respect women that's all good and well but let's get on with the episode and i think Alyssa, you're right. Here, um, that whole scene plays out really strangely because she has been so sharp and so on top of things. And yeah, that is the idea that Moffat's playing with because he keeps having Capaldi say, like, no, seriously, no one, no one has noticed this. Like, no one has recognized you. Um, and he can't understand, um, why this is a thing. But on the same hand, like, there are a lot of little narrative cheats there where, you know, she keeps looking down as she's realizing her love for Grant. Like, why in that moment? It's all very yeah. convenient. So it's just kind of a lot of um, shortcut writing to get to the moment that he needs. And it's not offensively bad. It's just not as sharp as it could have been. I think you're right in that. Yeah. This is the least objectionable uses of that trope by Moffat for me, in part because there's also a very clear moment where the doctor tells Grant, seriously, this is stupid. Why are you doing this? I cannot believe that you think this is a good idea. Um, and he's just sort of constantly putting this down as a tactic. Um, of course, that's all undercut by the fact that the tactic works in the end and Grant gets the girl. But um, at least I have a moment you know, of Peter Capaldi raising his eyebrow and going, really don't. Why are you doing this? This is a terrible idea. Also, you left the baby alone. <laughs> yes, you left the baby alone. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought the also the moment with, when they're, you know, having the rooftop date or whatever, and 
the the whole the thing I love about him the most is that he always tells the truth and it just got laid on so thick. I thought that was a little over the top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is Stephen Moffat really leaning into the pastiche of the comic book tropes and making fun of them. That's all fine, well and good, but I'm actually here to watch a Doctor Who episode and I mm-hmm. can't I can't help judging it as a Doctor Who episode. It works. It's a it's a it's a pretty good Doctor Who episode. Uh it's just some of the stuff doesn't work as well for me. One of the things that had bothered me a lot the first time I watched it was at the very end with Nardole kind of talking to them about the pain that the doctor had just gone through. And it really upset me that it seemed like something that would be a personal thing that you barely know these people. And now you're sharing this like deep secret of personal trauma (laughs) with these strangers. And why would you do that? Um, Especially knowing how private the doctor is about certain mm-hmm. things why would you do that and i think i think having spent more time with nardole i i understand it a little bit more now but i still don't like it i still don't think it was the right thing to do hmm. especially cuz the doctor had just said something that was so beautiful and poignant like that yeah. that line everything ends and it's always sad but everything begins to and that's happy like i would have been totally okay if we just stopped there mm-hmm. and then we get to grant and lucy talking you know trying to figure out exactly who the doctor is and that moment of peter capaldi on the tardis looking a bit down but regaining that fire and regaining that determination to go out into the universe like why did why did we need the nardole bit in there just mm. just end yeah, on didn't. that beautiful line from peter and be done well we got a really really nice moment of murray gold scoring i mean if nothing yeah, else yeah that's true <laughs> i mean i think i audibly gasped when that river theme music started and i was like oh but i i really love it when he uses those um, RTD era themes strategically. Um, and he actually did the same thing in Husbands. Um, yeah. And so I wonder if he's, you know, sprinkles one in every every year or so. <laughs> Maybe we'll get one in t- <laughs> twice upon a time. <laughs> I dearly hope so. Murray Gold scoring, I think, is definitely one of the major highlights of these last two Christmas specials. Very much so. Are we going to talk about the Mr. Huffle in the room? <laughs> <laughs> do we have well, to i mean really uh, oh i think we have to just simply because you're going to react that way <laughs> she is a clever clever whip smart reporter and she has a mr huffle and that makes no sense and it yep 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 discuss but he makes yourselves. a funny but he makes a funny noise <laughs> it's, it's really i think face. we short it's less the noise than the face <laughs> I think we short-circuited Chip there. That was brilliant. <laughs> uh, I mean, she, she's so clever, and all of a sudden we have this completely out-of-left-field quirky thing that's just supposed to make her quirky, and uh, it's practically it's practically turning her into a manic pixie dream girl. Look, I have a squeezy toy that, that, that feels pain. She has pain. a child. 
Chuck- she ha- she has an infant, and mm. they love those toys, Chip. But and <laughs> but, maybe it's just a part of her genius as a, rep- a reporter. That's how she gets all her information out of people. Her motherhood made her a genius. <laughs> That would be the most moffity thing ever. I know, right? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just going to say the best thing about Mr. Huffle is that Mr. Huffle is not a time lord, and that means that when Mr. Huffle is destroyed, it will never regenerate. Oh. <laughs> so if anybody hasn't bought a Christmas gift yet for Chip, I have a suggestion no. for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> So before Chip totally uh, bursts a vein and uh, cancels this podcast, do we have any final thoughts about Husbands of River Song or the return of Dr. Mysterio? I like that the last two that we've had so far were less Christmassy than the other ones and just made an attempt to have like a really good, solid Doctor Who episode and Christmas kind of faded into the background a little bit. Mm hmm. I'm curious if Harmony Shoal is going to come back. Um, the ending, which is really gruesome, by the way, for a family program on Christmas, um, where you see that they have left that body or whatever that they were in and, and they call for Osgood. Kind of a little bit of a cliffhanger um, that I actually thought might come back in Series 10. Um, but because the the Harmony Shoal split head folks were also in husbands. Um, I just would be surprised if Moffat didn't use them again um, to make a little bit of a trilogy with Twice Upon a Time. I have no idea how they would fit into that storyline, given the description that we have. But um, he doesn't often leave major loose threads. And it doesn't seem... I don't think I'll, you know, go weep into my my bedsheets if it's not resolved on Christmas <laughs> in a couple of weeks, but I'm curious because, you know, he, he wouldn't bring them back a second time if he wasn't planning on something larger for them. I don't know. I just, I have faith in his, in his long game planning. I think he just left them there for Chibnall to use if he wants to, honestly. I think he's done with them. How nice of him. <laughs> All right. Well, Joy, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Where can uh, people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Inquiring Joy. And I'm on Twitter at R. Miriam. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This wraps up our Christmas master plan. We will be back next week to discuss the 10th planet uh, to lead us in to Twice Upon a Time. Thanks for joining us on This Week in Time Travel. You can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're also on Twitter. Find us at drwhothisweek. Uh, Chip is on Twitter at numeral2minutetimelord. And I'm on Twitter and Tumblr at Feminism. You can also find us on Facebook, too. This Week in Time Travel is hosted by Jason Snell's The Incomparable Network. And you can support This Week in Time Travel by becoming a member and ticking the box for our show and any other Incomparable shows you like at theincomparable.com slash members. Thanks. And thanks also to Christopher Green for our original theme music and to David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and avatar. We'll see you next week on This Week in Time Travel. This Week in Time Travel.